This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Have you tried out Book Riot Insiders? If not, your time is now. Book Riot Insiders is our resource specifically designed for our fellow book nerds, and you can try it free for two weeks. There are different levels available, so you can decide which perks you want, from a monthly behind-the-scenes newsletter to exclusive podcasts and giveaways. Uh, And speaking of perks, you should also know about the new release index, which is curated by Liberty Hardy, who is the co-host of all the books. Um, And with the new release index, you can see the most exciting new books coming out in the next few months. It is like such an amazing resource and so fun. Um, And the the behind-the-scenes newsletters are great, too. Uh, It's really fun to get a peek inside the lives of some of the Book Riot editors and staff. I always find those really interesting. So uh, check it out and sign up for your 14-day free trial at insiders.bookriot.com. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice Burton, and fellow rioter Kim Eukera. We're recording on Thursday, August 1st. Hello, Kim. Hello, Alice. How are you? Uh, I am sleepy, but excited to talk about books. We have some, we kind of gotten through the doldrums of the summer, mm-hmm. and we're getting back into exciting new release time. Very jazzed. Yes, I am. I am also jazzed. There's some really good ones coming out like mid to late August, uh, which is super exciting. Um, So tell me what has been going on with you, Alice? What do you have to to share? What has been going on in life? I was at a wedding in Cincinnati last weekend. Cincinnati? Yeah, which actually turns out is like kind of super fun. I always have just I'm from Illinois pretty much. And I've like dismissed Ohio as a state (laughs) because I've been mad at it since I was a child because we had to drive through it and it takes forever to drive through Ohio. So I was like, I'm not spending any time there that I don't have to. But um, Cincinnati was awesome. And then I've heard great things about Cleveland. I don't know about Columbus. I don't know. Don't have any information. Hmm, Interesting. (laughs) What have you been up to? It's funny. The way you describe Ohio makes me think that's how Minnesotans feel about probably Iowa. I feel like Iowa is the state where you're just like, which is, I'm sorry, Iowans, like, sorry, but you just like (laughs) drive through it and you're like, oh my God, let's get on to the next thing. Des Moines is really fun. I'm just saying in defense of Iowa, Des Moines is great. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. It's just very flat. And full of cornfields <laughs> and straight highways. Let's see what is going on with me. We're reading Slump. Uh, it continues. Uh, I did finish reading a book between the last time we podcasted and today. So, like, that is an achievement, but it was like, it just won. And it felt like, I don't know. It didn't feel like my reading was coming back. It felt like an anomaly. So we'll we'll see. I'm hoping to maybe in the next couple weekends, like find some just like chill reading time. But we'll see. Uh, I see in the show notes you have something, a podcast you wanted to mention. Oh, yeah. So one of our listeners slash a person that I follow on Instagram messaged me on Instagram and was like, oh, hey, you were talking about the moon in our excellent last podcast and Mm -hmm. wondering like what was, you know, why did we decide to go to the moon and like what was up with the whole space race and all that. And 
Moonrise put out by the Washington Post, which is about kind of the history of why we actually went to the moon as opposed to the popular, I guess, like mythos, whatever, around uh, Kennedy being like, we will do this. She was like, this wasn't his idea originally. He just, <laughs> he just made this proclamation. Yeah. The she being the narrator of the podcast, but I listened to the first episode and it was like a little odd, but interesting. I'm going to carry on with it because since it's by the Washington Post, I was like, this is going to have facts. Great. Well, yes. What was that podcast called? Moonrise. Oh, interesting. That sounds very good. I'm I'm going on a road trip this weekend, uh, and I'm I'm trying to figure out if we should listen to podcasts or an audiobook, or maybe we'll just talk the whole time. But I might I might pitch that. Very cool. Uh, all right. So uh, with that, we will uh, segue uh, not very gracefully into our first usual segment, which is new books, uh, where we talk about books that have come out recently or coming out soon that we are excited about or have read and can recommend. So um, the first book I'm going to talk about is one that I have actually read and I've completely finished it uh, and I can recommend it. This is the one book I read, be- I read in full between the last podcast and this one. And it's called My Friend Anna, The True Story of a Fake Heiress by Rachel Deloche-Williams. And it came out July 23rd from Gallery Books. Um, And so this is a book, a story about a con woman. uh, And I love stories about cons. So I was very primed to really like this one. Um, And I I did like it very much despite a few kind of reservations. So um, the con woman at the center of the story is a woman named Anna Sorkin. um, And she uh, pretended to be a German heiress and she managed to scam banks and people and businesses and all of those things out of a lot of money um, over the course of uh, a pretty short period of time, actually. So uh, the book is written by uh, Rachel Williams, who uh, was a photo editor at Vanity Fair when she met Anna, who at the time was calling herself Anna Delvey. And they became very close friends very quickly. Um, but their friendship was very um, consumerist. So they had these very expensive dinners at fancy restaurants. They did this like infrared sauna thing, which just sounded bananas to me. Did a lot of drinking and clubbing and shopping. And they worked out with a celebrity personal trainer. Uh, and Anna just paid for all of this. And so they became these kind of fast friends. And so uh, at some point in the first um, months of their friendship, Anna suggests going to Marrakesh and staying at this very expensive hotel. And Anna says she'll pay for the whole trip, everything. uh, She just needs a friend to come along and they're going to have fun. So they round up a couple other people and they go. Uh, But as the trip kind of progresses, things just like start to fall apart. So uh, Rachel had to front the costs for the flights to Marrakesh, which they booked at the super last minute, which makes me so anxiety. I like ridden. I can't even believe it. The meals and shopping and... And the hotel eventually putting more than $62,000 on her credit cards um, that Anna said that she would pay back. But then she uh, just never did. And so Rachel has to spend all this time trying to get reimbursed and just like cannot seem to get through to her to pay this money back, eventually discovering that she actually doesn't have that money. And it's a, a big, long con. So the book opens with the Marrakesh vacation and kind of sets up this like horrifying event where she ends up with $62,000 on her credit cards uh, and then kind of backs up to explain how they became friends and what happened. Uh, and then what happened after uh, Anna, they discovered she's a fraud. And so like as a whole, I found this very engaging and interesting. Like the author, uh, Rachel Williams, is a she's a good writer. And so she's pretty good at, um, I think, getting inside her head and explaining what she was thinking through all of these experiences she was having. Um, there's a section in the middle where she is like trying to get Anna to pay her all this money back that gets 
a little bit dull and repetitive because it's just a lot of like text messages that she's relaying back and forth about like, why won't you pay me this money? And Anna promising she will. And um, I thought that part was, it was just meh, whatever. But the stuff before and after I found really engaging and interesting. So, and like I said, I'm in a slump and I still like started this book and finished it within like three days. So uh, it's definitely a good con story if that's the thing that you like. Although I don't know that it's universally um, awesome. Like I think it's really, if you're interested in cons and this kind of news story, then then you will like this book. So that is, I talked about that for a long time. Whoops. <laughs> My Friend Anna, The True Story of a Fake Heiress by Rachel Deloche Williams. I mean, I feel like talking about it for a while is sort of an indicator that it was a very good involved book. So really just sells it all for Kim. Um, I have seen that one. I've kind of been like looking at it from afar thus thus far. Yeah. But the cover is awesome and just looks is, immediately yeah. like, oh, that's going to be a good book. So I'm glad that you really liked it. When you say recreated text conversations, is that like, do you mean that, they, like, what does that mean? Did she make them up? Like, and it was like, essentially was this or something else? No, no. So she eventually, um, you know, they, the, um, I think it's the federal authorities are starting to investigate her. And so Williams, as part of her kind of like coping and understanding this like experience that she had of being conned, starts to pull together all of the evidence of their friendship into like these binders and things that she provides to the to law enforcement and so I, the the text messages I, as i understand it are like the actual text conversations that she was having um so there some of them are written so they like look like text messages and some of them are sort of framed so they look like conversations back and forth but i think they are the exact text messages that were going back and forth between them which is kind of a like you feel very much like you're there because she has a ton of details in it um i found them kind of like <laughs> like watching a train wreck, but I, I, they could also be a little bit like, okay, whatever. I get it. You know, you went to another fancy dinner. Cool. Um, <laughs> um no, that sounds awesome. Uh, if people are doing direct text conversation quotes, I'm kind of all about that. Cause it's like, you're looking mm-hmm. through someone's phone. Not that I do that. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> it's just fun to have someone be okay with it. Uh, <laughs> my first new pick for this week is The Pretty One on Life, Pop Culture, Disability, and Other Reasons to Fall in Love with Me by Kia Brown. So Kia Brown uh, is the creator of the hashtag Disabled and Cute, which blew up, I think, sometime in the last year, year and a half, something like that. Could be wrong about the timeline. But so she... The book is a series of essays about um, she has cerebral palsy. She labels herself um, pretty early in the book as a black disabled woman. And she says that she is not speaking for the entire community. And she knows that some people have um, a problem with the word disabled, but that is her own kind of grasping onto like that identity. That's her self-identifying phrase. And she talks just kind of like what it's like living with cerebral palsy. And she starts the book with this essay about chairs and she has personified these chairs like she talks about like the movie theater chair who's you know like her boyfriend and they like meet up for dates and like all this stuff and how they like the chairs take care of her and all of this and it was just it's really neat she has a very fun voice that I really enjoyed in terms of like her writing style she also talks about things where I was like oh my gosh I can't believe that that is a thing and it was really enlightening and sort of um I think a voice that you don't normally hear she spends one essay talking about how oh she responded to these like makeup ads on Twitter basically being like why don't you have any people with disabilities 
in your ads. And she got like raked on Twitter for that question, which is insane. But the thing that I was like, oh my gosh, just really sort of interesting was she spends this one essay talking about she was basically the things that you don't think about that you just do every day and how when she, you know, since she is living with cerebral palsy, things that she worked really hard on this one thing, which was to put her hair in a ponytail by herself um, because she doesn't have that much use of one of her hands. And I did not realize like how I, you know, you don't think if you just like put your hair in a ponytail normally, it's just like, oh yeah, I don't think about how I do it. But she says that she spent like months and she was like, this is a marker of my ability to be independent and I'm going to learn how to do it. And then when she like finally is able to do it and she gets her hair in a ponytail, how like, totally triumphant this like moment was like she was like it wasn't even like a cute messy bun it was just you know like this like kind of just like messy ponytail thing but she was like it was so amazing to be able to do that and I don't know I just it's a really different kind of book from again like what I have tended to either see on the shelf or have read and it was really cool (laughs) I really enjoyed it so again creator of the hashtag disabled and cute, which you should check out that hashtag. And the book is called The Pretty One on Life, Pop Culture, Disability, and Other Reasons to Fall in Love with Me by Kia Brown. First of all, that title is amazing. And the subtitle is so good too. Um, I was looking while you were talking, I looked up the disabled and cute hashtag and God, that's awesome. It's so, and it's so great. Like all of it is really great. I love that. Cool. Excellent pick, Alice. My second pick is one that is like very much 100% in my wheelhouse. Uh, like, I think if my sister's, uh, my sister has this joke where, like, when we go to bookstore, she'll point at books and be like, that's a Kim book. This is one that I think she would have identified as a Kim book pretty easily. And it's called Our Women on the Ground Essays by Arab Women Reporting from the Arab World by Zara Honkier. And it comes out August 6th from Penguin Books. Uh, and this is an anthology of essays by Arab women journalists, Middle Eastern female journalists. So um, the editor uh, is a Lebanese-British journalist who has written about uh, intersections of politics, culture, and society in the Middle East. And her anthology brings together 19 uh, female writers who write about a bunch of stuff that uh, Middle Eastern female journalists would write about. Um, they write about sexual harassment they've experienced while reporting. Um, some of the t- one uh, is about the challenges she faced uh, while she was trying to travel in Yemen without a male relative, um, which is a thing that affects uh, Middle Eastern women but and journalists who are trying to travel and do their jobs. They also talk about some of the advantages that they have as female journalists trying to report from this area. So particularly like special or having access to women and being able to go to kind of primarily women's spaces and report and learn and interview those residents, uh, which male journalists just really can't do. Um, And so the book is a way for them to tell us what it's like to report on conflicts in their, in their homes, uh, which is just, I think it just sounds so, so interesting. Um, I read a few, I haven't read this one. I haven't gotten to see any of it, but I read a couple of reviews and they talk a lot about how there's a good mix of reporters, um, people kind of writing for established media outlets that you've heard of, but then also people who are freelancers and people who kind of have their own small web operations and stuff like that, um, which I really appreciate because I think the um, experience of being a journalist can be really different depending on what kind of outlet you're doing your reporting for. So it's nice that they have a balance of that. And then Dwight Garner, who uh, wrote about the book for New York Times, he 
said that it is a book about ambition, harassment, and misogyny, sex, family, bravery, politics, religion, history, broken lives, and double lives, uh, which I just like. I just love that. That sounds so interesting. So um, this one is out August 6th. I am very excited to go grab a copy when it comes out because I think it just sounds really fascinating. Uh, That is Our Women on the Ground, Essays by Arab Women Reporting from the Arab World by Zara Hunkier. That's so cool that that was published. (laughs) I know. I know. Great job, Penguin. Um, No, that sounds awesome. My next pick for this week is Girl on the Block, A True Story of Coming of Age Behind the Counter by Jessica Ragg. So Jessica Ragg is a butcher in England. And this book, there's a lot of great books coming out this week, and I like almost all of them. But this one might be my favorite. I have been talking about it to most of my acquaintances, (laughs) being like, I'm reading this book about this woman who's a butcher. And it's not something that I thought I'd be really into because I am a pescatarian and I don't eat red meat at all. Um, But she – so she starts talking when she was – she talks about when she was 16. She went to work at this, like, farm shop in uh, her – like near her home, basically. And it was where the Kira Knightley Pride and Prejudice was filmed. Like it's part of this great house. And I have not watched that movie, so I don't know what it looks like. But just in case you all have seen the Kira Knightley one, then it's that house, but it's a farm shop connected to it. Anyway, so she kind of like, she worked at the counter, but she, some of the butchers who didn't really want to share their trade, because it's, you know, the sort of like, in some ways, secret art, uh, would slowly like teach her how to do things like cut, up a lamb which you know sounds terrible but she was really interested in it and she would like go home and try to read up on it and study and it was one of those things where accidentally she like found her passion and like what she was really fascinated by and interested in and so she ends up going to school like her college and then when she is living in london she sees like this amazing butcher that which is like the one of the best like butcher shops whatever in I guess, England as a whole. And so she just emails the head of the company. And this is like a place that has been featured in like all these foodie magazines and all this stuff. She emails the head of the company is basically like, I worked at a butcher's for three years when I was a teenager. So can I have a job? Which I was like, that is amazing. And the thing is, he contacts her and is like, let's set up an interview. And they go and like chat in a coffee shop or I guess a tea shop. And he gives her a job working in his butchers. It's so cool. Anyway, so she talks about that. Her writing is really fun and breezy and like really easy to read. And I've just been like zooming through it. She also, along with like talking about, she puts two like inner splices um, between her stories. She'll have like tips on, you know, like cooking meat or like tying up things or whatever people who eat meat do. Um, I've been admittedly skimming those because I'm like, I'm not going to use this. But anyway, Along with, like, talking about her life and how she became a butcher and um, things like, you know, the harassment she faced from – because the majority of her profession is men. She also looks at, like, the modern meat industry and how there are all these, like, changing ideologies around, like, ethical meat consumption, which I was really interested in and glad that she touched on that. But basically, I love this book. You should read it. Again, the cover is great. I didn't say that but about this previously, but the again is because we've got a lot of great covers this week. So that is Girl on the Block, A True Story of Coming of Age Behind the Counter by Jessica Ragg. That sounds so good. Yeah, oh, it's man. great. I gotta, go. I gotta go find that one. That sounds awesome. All right. So my uh, next pick is – it's a university press book, which is fun because I – 
don't remember to talk about those as often. So and it's called Godland, A Story of Faith, Loss, and Renewal in Middle America by Liz Lenz. Um, this one came out a little earlier in July, July 19th from India in a university press. Um, but I had it like listed on my like list of upcoming books as coming out in August. So I don't know like how I got the date wrong, but that's why I'm talking about it now because I missed it when it came out a couple weeks ago. Um, so, and this is a book that I will also say um, a bunch of people and the Book Riot contributors and editors have read, several of them have read it and um, kind of raved about it on our Insider or the Contributor Slack channel. So in addition to me, there are some other people who have read this and liked it too. So uh, the book opens uh, in the year 2005 with Liz and her fiance uh, moving to Cedar Rapids, Iowa um, for his job. And she is very skeptical about moving to Cedar Rapids. Um, she has a joke about like, there's no coffee shop except a Starbucks and Target, uh, which I was like, you have a target, like you're not that real friend. But <laughs> she moves to Cedar Rapids, Iowa and is describing her her fiance. Uh, she describes him as very conservative and she drives herself as just a couple of steps away from Greenpeace. Um, but they felt like they were going to make this work and they loved each other and were ready. But that turns out not to be the case. Uh, and so by 2016, they realized that their marriage uh, was over, um, primarily over like a very serious um, disagreement or like a fundamental disagreement about faith and politics and that they just kind of weren't compatible in that way along with other, you know, issues that they were having. So the book kind of takes that experience and her understanding of the Midwest or middle America and tries to explore kind of more broadly the idea of faith in middle America and how the part that I find particularly interesting is how, um, how the Midwest became this idea of being normal. So um, like whenever we talk about like the coasts are this one thing, but you know, got to talk to the real people in the middle of America. And so she's really trying to like explore and understand that through not the lens of like faith, but uh, through kind of that's an angle at getting at it. So um, the book also has some stuff in it about why churches are struggling kind of across the board um, and how to find and sustain places of faith in kind of anywhere because she uh, says she wanted to understand this place, the middle America and the losses that it contains. So, and it's also looking at um, faith in the United States as a civil religion that is connected to Christianity, but also connected or influenced by capitalism, regionalism and politics. So um, it's, uh, it's so good so far. She just has this very um, like smooth and easy writing style. She's um, very, reflective, um, both about herself and about the communities that she is kind of connected to and part of. Um, the first chapter is about how they moved to Cedar Rapids, tried to find a church, couldn't find one that they liked because they kept how she kept having in particular um, disagreements with the pastors about the role of the LGBTQ community and women in the church. And so they tried to start their own church and that just did not work. And so she's super honest about why it didn't and what the challenges were and kind of where that led her to kind of go next. Um, and so I just, I find it really interesting. Like this is one of my, I think, genre kryptonites is just people of faith in the Midwest and like kind of understanding how that fits into politics and community and all of that. And I love stories about small towns and all of that. So um, I'm really excited to keep going with this one. Uh, it's that is Godland, a story of faith, loss and renewal in middle America by Liz Lenz. Um, that sounds super awesome. I mean, you know, kind of sad with the whole dissolution of the mm-hmm. marriage thing, but yeah, extremely topical. Did you see that thing about the deputy Washington editor of the New York Times was talking about how the 
you know, these like two progressive congresswomen were like saying that they were from the Midwest was like saying that Representative Lloyd Doggett, who I guess is from Austin, is from Texas. And it's like, I get what you're going for, sir, but they literally are from the Midwest, which I think is what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said. <laughs> she was like, no, they are literally from the Midwest. <laughs> like, cause, uh, yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's a lot in it about just like, what does that even mean? And how do, I, I guess the part that I have really liked is she has a, like very much understands how people in the Midwest do not like to be like treated or talked about as people from the Midwest and how we get very like, but no, that's not us or we're not like that. Or she's just like, I feel like she's really got the culture of it like spot on. So I'm excited to kind of see where she goes next and kind of teasing that apart. Yeah. Well, and I think not to like get super into this, but I think that the way that people perceive the Midwest versus the coasts is, in fact, actually just the split between between um, rural and like metropolitan. And mm-hmm. it's not like it doesn't really matter. Like, I'm sure that there are, you know, small towns in New York that have similar, extremely similar feelings to small towns in Illinois. So it's not about like where geographically you are as much, I don't think. I mean, in some cases it is, but like. I don't know. I don't know. I have no actual proof to back this up. <laughs> I'm just saying things. Okay. And on that note, next book uh, is Agrippina, the most extraordinary woman of the Roman world by Emma Southern. Um, this had a previous title because this book was originally crowdfunded, which is awesome. And that was Agrippina, Empress, Exile, Hustler, Whore, the most extraordinary woman of the Roman world. And the cover is super fun in the crowdfunded one. And it's much more matching with the tone of the book. I'm a little mad at Pegasus Books for screwing up the cover. And I say that with love (laughs) for Pegasus because I love Pegasus. They publish the nerdiest books. Okay, so Agrippina she was this first sort of like true Roman empress. She was the mother of Nero, the wife of Claudius, and the sister of Caligula. So that's why we've heard of her, because she was connected with all of these men, and the Romans did not like women. I have only just started reading about Roman history, like recently in my life, but one of the main things that I've gotten from it is that Romans really didn't like women. And like almost to a shocking degree. So Emma Southern talks about, she kind of, she starts off being like, okay, so you're going to need to know something about um, Roman history and like the founding of Rome. And she does that in like five pages. And then, and she's like really, really lighthearted in her tone. I was texting my friend multiple quotes from like one page because I was like, this is so funny. And I was not expecting that again from the cover because it's like very serious. And I thought it was going to be like some Oxford University press book. And then it turned out to be this extremely, again, lighthearted thing about this uh, Roman empress. So it goes from... Uh, the camps of Germany, where she was born, because her father was a famous general named either Germanicus or Germanicus. I don't know how to pronounce Latin. So it goes through that and then through senatorial, political intrigue, assassination attempts, exile to a small island, much like Circe. If you all have read that book, it's really good. So good. It's so good. And they're making it into a miniseries, but we can talk about that another time. Okay. So to the heights of imperial power, thrones, Golden cloaks, because at one point, Agrippina wears a golden cloak, which is amazing. And then uh, just like she goes basically from, you know, being like adored to then being extremely vilified and, of course, murdered by her son. 
uh, because Nero is terrible. Don't know if you all know that. So she founds the city of Cologne, and then she kind of like lives up to these like ideals of Roman femininity and motherhood, but then also is still at like one point, and then she completely reverses that, right? And like everyone is like, she's the worst uh, because she's not going along with this like, be quiet, stay out of sight, etc. Sacrifice yourself for the good of Roman men, um, which was kind of the situation back then. It's really good, super fun again. Agrippina by Emma Southern. I was looking at the covers while you were talking. Is the one, the crowdfunded one, it's like red and it's got big blocky letters on it? Yep. You're right. That does look way more fun than the like Roman painting kind of one that the, yeah. Why did they do it? <laughs> I don't know. The one with the black letters, it looks like like a Monty Python movie or something to me. That's basically how it reads. Like it's real close to that. Ah, uh, fun. She makes Roman history so much fun. Um, but anyway, I had one more book I wanted to talk about because, again, so many awesome books this week. And this is Gross Anatomy, A Field Guide to Loving Your Body, Warts and All by Mara Altman. It's up by G.P. Putnam Sons. And so Mara Altman, basically, I started this and it's, again, like, all the books this week are super breezy. I mean, except for yours, they were pretty serious. But <laughs> my book picks overall very fun. So um, Mara Allman basically does that whole thing of like, is it just me about stuff with her body? And then she like went into this reporting kind of research investigation quest thing and is like, hey, no, it's not just me. And it's in fact a lot of people. And here's stuff about your body. So she starts off talking about her endless like decades long quest. So I guess it's not endless decades long quest for her um, hair removal. She kept trying all these different things. She did three years of like laser treatments or whatever, and it didn't work at all. And she finally talks about like, why do I care about this? Why does this matter? And it's kind of just about like sort of accepting who you are. I mean, that's in the subtitle, but it's also really fun and interesting. And again, if you're kind of sitting there being like, well, no one else has this weird problem with their body. Mara Allman is here to be like, yeah, they do. We're going to talk about it, which is really, really great. By the way, because she does, she does start off talking about hair removal. I thought it was really interesting and ties into Agrippina that the Romans shaved their legs. Which I was like, that's really? an extremely long time ago. Yeah, they used like pieces of flint or tweezers. The ancient, oh. e I know, the ancient Egyptians also used tweezers that were made from oh. seashells. There's oh, oh. <laughs> ow, <laughs> it's just, I'm just saying it's a tradition that's gone back a long time, and I don't understand why we do it, but uh, it's a cultural thing. So anyway, so that book, again, is Gross Anatomy, A Field Guide to Loving Your Body, Warts and All by Mara Altman. Excellent. That is a bunch of really good new books. That is That was a good section, I think. Uh, I want to read all those. Um, all right. So now we will we'll switch gears into our weekly theme, which is something that's kind of timely about, and then we'll make some book recommendations about it. So this week, we wanted to talk books about books because uh, August 9th is National Book Lovers Day, uh, which according to Wikipedia, uh, an, a very official source, uh, it is an National Book Lovers Day is an unofficial holiday observed to encourage bibliophiles to celebrate reading and literature. People are advised to put away their smartphones and every possible technological distraction and pick up a book to read. Book Lovers Day is widely recognized on a global scale, yet its origin and creator remains unknown to date. 
So because we're releasing this on August 6th, August 9th is Book Lovers Day, books about books. Uh, and so I have the first one. Uh, and my first uh, suggestion is a really, I thought it was really fun. Uh, it's What We See When We Read by Peter Mendelssohn. And it is an illustrated look into how we visualize images from reading works of literature. So it's just this whole illustrated kind of quirky book trying to explore like how do our brains actually visualize the things that we are reading? And it turns out like not particularly well, and there are lots of holes and gaps in it, and it's very strange how it all works. So at the time this book was published in 2014, uh, he was the associate art director of Alfred Knopf, um, and he now is working, heading up a redesign of the Atlantic magazine. Uh, so he has a long um, history in book design and book publishing, uh, which I think is really kind of interesting. So yeah, the book is... Uh, the process of reading and how our brains actually process words on a page. Um, but it's really fun because he has, it's all illustrated. So the different kind of when he's talking about the way something works, he sort of has the, the pictures and the words on the page moving in that direction. So, you know, there's parts about how like when we read paragraphs, we kind of skip around in them. And so he's got parts of the paragraph kind of scratched out. So you're kind of skipping through and trying to read it. Um, so he's kind of making fun of or teasing or kind of exploring what the actual phenomenon of reading is like through the way that the text and the illustrations are presented, which is just really fun. And he just kind of walks us through some of the different philosophies about that. So um, it reads really fast. I think it's interesting, especially if you are a person who likes to think about how, why, we, why we read or how we read or how any of that stuff works. Um, but it's definitely not like super taxing or anything like that. So uh, it's very much focused on reading fictional stories, but um, I think still good anyway. So that is What We See When We Read by Peter Mendelssohn. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. I super want to look at it. Well, especially if he like sets the book up so that you fall. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so my first pick for the book lovers section is... Black Ink, Literary Legends on the Peril, Power, and Pleasure of Reading, Writing. Oh, sorry, Reading and Writing. Edited by Stephanie Stokes Oliver. So essentially, throughout American history, Black people are the only group of people to have been forbidden by law to learn to read, which is nuts that that happened in the first place. So this collection uh, is trying to shed light on that injustice and uh, the way that they say it is putting some of America's most cherished voices in a conversation, which I really, really like uh, as a way of phrasing that. And so it's this um, – they present reading as this act of resistance, which is also just so cool. And they organize it into three sections, which is the peril, the power, and the pleasure. And they go from like Frederick Douglass all the way up to Roxane Gay and kind of present this like brilliant diversity of Black thought in America – solidifying the importance of these writers within the greater context of the American literary tradition where they can be left out of the canon, right? Like, I mean, most of us have heard of Frederick mm -hmm. Douglass, but there are a lot of writers in this who I think are not normally necessarily included in what people are told are like, you know, like, this is like American writers you should know. So um, I think if, if only for that reason, but there are many more, it's really worth checking out. So it contributors include, uh, again, Frederick Douglass, Booker T. Washington, Zora Neale Hurston, Langston Hughes, James Baldwin. I mean, like, if it stopped there, I would be like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Also, like, Malcolm X and Maya Angelou and, like, Toni Morrison, Jamaica Kincaid and Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. It's, like, so cool. Anyway, again, 
That book is Black Ink, Literary Legends on the Peril, Power, and Pleasure of Reading and Writing, edited by Stephanie Stokes-Oliver. I'm really glad you talked about that one because as I was like doing research and trying to decide what books I had read that I might want to talk about or new ones I might want to read to try and then talk about like the whole genre of like books about books and books about reading is is very white. Like it's a lot of white writers doing that stuff. So I'm excited that you found that one to share. Um, I'm glad. All right. So my second pick is kind of a really slim, easy one. It's called Book Love by Debbie Tung. And it is just a very small collection of comics about reading. Um, she has this very like sketchy black and white style um, where she's got this character. And and yeah, so the whole book is just uh, charming comics that are just about being a person who reads a lot. Um, and it is... Uh, if you have like ever kind of faced a conundrum as a reader, like, oh man, how am I going to read all these books? Or I'm in a reading slump or just just anything. Like there is a comic in this book about that experience. So as I've been reading it, like just just flying through it because there's they're like all like one page little kind of comic sketches. Um, like I just feel seen on like almost every other page being like, oh, yes, that experience has happened to me. I have done that. I, I have wondered about that. Um, there's one about like walking by a bookstore and then being like, I don't need any books, but then you go in and buy a bunch of them anyway. Like just all of it is really cute. So um, I think it's just kind of a fun one if you're a person who is a book lover. Um, it also might make a really nice gift for somebody because it's just very like easy and charming and she has a really cute um, comic style. So that is uh, Book Love by Debbie Tung. I have flipped through that in a Barnes and Noble and you're right. It's great. Um, I'm not sure... Mm-hmm. I didn't buy it at the time. I was probably getting something else. But um, no, that's that's an awesome selection. My other pick for our theme this week is Bibliophile, an illustrated miscellany by Jane Mount. This came out like pretty recently. I remember coveting it in the um, like Bob Blue newsletter or something. They were sending it out as like a new release. I was like, oh my gosh, it's so pretty. So Bibliophile is essentially this illustrated by Jane Mount book all about like well, obviously books themselves, but also things related to books. So it's like she draws illustrations of the world's most beautiful bookstores and you can, they have like these quizzes throughout and then like little factoids. And she's, um, I think we've talked about this before, but she's the one who like Ill- originally illustrated bookshelves. Do you know what I mean? Like you would have like, mm-hmm. like find the books yeah. on it. Yeah. And so she has that like with like stacks of books pictured in it and they're, it's one of those books where when you look through it, you're like, oh, I want to read that. And I haven't read that yet. And that sounds really good. And I just that's one of the things about books about books that I love so much. I mean, it's also obviously very hazardous to your TBR stack. But <laughs> I just think it's so cool because it's like I never would have heard of this maybe. But because this person is talking about it and how much they love it or like highlighting it in, you know, like their fantastic illustration, then now I know about it. and want to read it. So Again, that is Bibliophile, an illustrated miscellany by Jane Mount. I have looked and coveted that one too. It looks beautiful. Uh, Great pick. Um, I have one more quick pick uh, for books about books. Uh, And this is a a memoir, kind of a memoir and essays called My Life with Bob, Flawed Heroine Keeps Book of Books, Plot Ensues by Pamela Paul. Um, And Pamela Paul is the editor of the New York Times Book Review. And this is just a collection of essays about kind of her reading life. Um, But the way it is framed is about how she, uh, for 28 years, has kept uh, a book of books, which she calls Bob, um, that lists every single book that she 
she has read over that period of time. And so the uh, the collection opens kind of with her talking about like why this notebook of books is so important to her and like, uh, and then goes kind of chronologically talking about some of the books she read at certain periods of her life, but then also like the role the notebook played so early. It talks about like why she started the notebook in the first place and um, what books were kind of important at that period of time. Um, so yeah, there's essays about her favorite books. There's essays connecting books to major life events because um, she talks about how Bob having this book of books helps her remember parts of her life because she can tie the books back to those kind of specific events and moments, which I think is something everyone who reads has at least one experience like that where you can really tie a book to a moment or an emotional experience that you've had. So there's a lot of, of the, that. There's some essays that look at the relationship between books and readers and how those relationships develop and change. Um, and it's just very um, charming. I was reading it on my lunch break uh, of several days and it just like, you just feel like, oh, yes, books. Someone, uh, you know, that feeling of just like getting that someone else gets how great books are, which lots of people get how great books are, but it's really, I always really like essays or collections where you really like feel that and get to kind of celebrate it. So, um, and also like the idea of having a book of books is just like, and an actual physical notebook listing all the books you've read over like that extended period of time. I'm just so jealous of that idea because I think that would be so delightful. I have all the books I've read for quite a long time listed in like spreadsheets and stuff, but like having them in a notebook, I don't know. I'm just, every time I think about it, I get so jealous because I really wish I had one of those, uh, which is super nerdy. So uh, anyway, it's really charming and I have enjoyed it very much. So uh, that is My Life with Bob, Flawed Heroine Keeps Book of Books, Plot Ensues by Pamela Paul. That sounds really nice. Um, that No, that is awesome. Before I got into blogging, which I got into in like 2011, um, and then of course led to this moment here where we're <laughs> chatting on a Book Riot podcast, um, <laughs> I kept a hardcover journal where I would write about all, like every book that I read. Like I would write my thoughts that I started <sighs> keeping when I was 16. And maybe 15, because I said some really stupid things about House of Mirth on there. <laughs> um, it's really embarrassing. It was basically like, oh, my gosh, this book's so sad. But anyway, <laughs> I stopped keeping it when I started blogging, which I feel like mm-hmm. Goodreads is also a really good way, right? Like keeping track of books that you read. But I, I understand yeah. the like uh, appeal of like an actual tactile object um, that captures that. Yeah. Um, With that uh, all being said, lots of great books this week. Kim, what are you reading now? Reading now. The book is called The World's Fastest Man, The Extraordinary Life of Major Taylor by Michael Kramish. And it is a book about uh, Major Taylor, who was a black man who broke racial barriers by becoming the world's fastest and most famous bicyclist at the height of Jim Crow. Um, That was from the book jacket. And yeah, so the the jacket describes it as uh, the boys in the boats uh, in the tradition of the boys in the boat and Seabiscuit, which are two books that I super love very much. Uh, So yeah, it's just a book about this uh, black man who breaks into cycling in a time when uh, cycling was still kind of new, but also like uh, African-American black men didn't participate in that sport. Um, and it is, uh, yeah, it's just super interesting. Um, I love stories like that and anything described as like the boys in the boat, I'm going to read because that's one of my very favorites. Uh, so I'm not very far into this one, but I, it's really fun so far. Oh, I am like halfway through the audiobook of American Heiress by Jeffrey Tubin about Patricia Hearst. And it is 
fascinating let me tell you um i'm looking forward to finishing very very much excellent and with that you can find us on social media i am at it's alice time and kim is at kim the dork and if you feel so inclined, please feel free to rate and review the podcast on iTunes or the podcatcher of your choice. Uh, rating and reviews help people find us more easily. And while you are there, you can subscribe so you get new episodes the very minute that they come out. And so with that, I am Kim Ukra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast.